All right, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. If you just started coming here in the past few weeks, you saw that we were going through a short sermon series on what is the gospel. We've been in the book of Acts since January 2020. Uh, We've been trucking right along through it. Uh, Here at Red Cross, we believe that a healthy diet of preaching within the church is through expositional verse by verse preaching. We want to look at every text. We want to look at all the attributes of God, the whole counsel of God. We want to see what scripture teaches us and we don't want to skip over anything. And so I value that here at Red Cross. I love doing that here at Red Cross. And a temptation of mine is to go really slow through these long books. (laughs) But today we're looking at 35 verses in Acts chapter 15. When you hit narratives, man, sometimes you're going to hit large chunks. And so uh, if you're in Acts 15, if you're there, say word. Fantastic. You'll stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts 15. I'm just going to read through to verse 22. But we're going to hit 35 verses this morning, all right? So verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, Listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things. 
known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for this time. Bless, bless this word, God. Open up our eyes, our hearts to the truth that you have for us. Help us see that we are saved by grace alone. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my sermon this morning is A Gracious Dilemma. There's a problem in the early church. And this problem has come up. Now, this isn't new problems in the church. This is not new. Uh, We've seen problems within the church. We saw a problem in early on in the book of Acts when they had to bring in disciples because Hellenistic Jews were being neglected. And so the apostles were, 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 were saying, we cannot neglect prayer and the study and the preaching of the word. We need to bring people who are going to serve. So churches, whenever, whenever we see a problem or an issue, they will come together and resolve it. And we've seen this throughout church history. We see it in, in 325, the Council of Nicaea came together and melt, uh, melt, uh, and met over the issue of Christology, along with the Council of Constantinople in 381. They met over the issue of Christology. We got 431, the Council of Ephesus met over the issue of human nature, and then the, Cal- the Chalcedonian Council in 451 over the same problem. So we've, we've seen throughout church history these councils having to come together because of doctrinal and theological issues. Now, come June, we have a convention, the the Southern Baptist Convention. That's what we are a part of. We're going to meet in June and we're going to make decisions about how missions are done, how 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 the convention should be run, who should lead it. We got the president that we're going to be voting on this year. Um, and, And but ultimately, the church leads the convention. So we even have these kind of meetings. And let me tell you, there's some stuff that we're going to be dealing with in June. I mean, we're dealing with right now this issue of critical race theory stepping into the church. This this idea that there needs to be reparations in order for reconciliation when reconciliation is only found in forgiveness of sin and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking at that this summer. Some of you may not know what I'm talking about. I don't even know half about critical race theory. I'm still learning. But we are even dealing with stuff like this. So we see here in Acts 15, an issue has come up. Now, Paul and Barnabas have been in Antioch. They just got done with their first missionary journey. They came back to Antioch. They are teaching the people. And then all of a sudden, you see in verse 1... These men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is a problem. This is a teaching that goes against the idea that we are saved by grace alone. This is a teaching that says we are saved by grace plus works. 
There's more that needs to be done in order for you to be saved. It's not just by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not just by believing that Jesus has died for your sins and has risen again. These men are saying you need to do that, but you also need to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas, Paul, Paul, who was a Pharisee, okay, the Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he had he he had the entire first books of the Bible memorized. All right. This guy was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And they're these Pharisaical Jews, these these Pharisaical Christians. Who Paul even calls brothers in verse five. Coming in and saying you need to also obey because here's the problem, church. Acts 15 is the middle of the book of Acts. And we see, we, we've seen throughout the past several chapters, now the Gentiles are being saved. And these Jews, the nation of Israel, is how are we going to include them in here unless we make them Jews? You see the problem? The problem that they're bringing up is, is how do we relate to God? How are we saved? Is it through obedience to the law? Or is it by grace through faith? So let's, let's take a look at it. Let me tell you, my study this week, I wrestled over this passage on how to teach it because it's such a large chunk and there's so much we can bring out. So here's the main idea I've got for you this morning. It's this. A gospel that isn't all grace is no gospel at all. A gospel that is not all grace is no gospel at all. If we, if we look at the gospel and we are trying to say, well, yeah, we're saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith, but we need to do this too. That's not a gospel. That's not good news for us. That's a problem. So let's say I hand you a glass of water and I tell you to drink it. But before you drink it, I take a drop of poison, just one little bitty drop of poison in this whole glass of water. And then I tell you to drink it. Would you drink it? No, I hope you wouldn't. This is the same with this gospel, this little drop of poison, this little thing saying, yeah, we're saved by grace through faith. But that's not a good but. Okay, that's a bad problem. So a gospel that isn't all grace is no gospel at all. So I got four things I want to share with you this morning through this text. All right. Four things. They're going to be on the screen. You can write them down. I got some underlining and some circles I might want you to do within your Bible. But let's break this down. All right. If if a gospel that isn't all grace is no gospel at all, then first we need to see, number one, that the gospel of grace is worth defending. The gospel of grace is worth defending. We see that in verses 1 through 5. Uh, look at verse 2. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. In other words, it was a big dissension and debate. <laughs> that's, what, that, that's what Luke is getting at here. This was a big conversation. This was a big deal. Paul and Barnabas see this as evil coming into the church. Paul calls this in Galatians 1 a separate gospel, a, an, an other gospel, a gospel that is not true, 
And so Paul and Barnabas are making a stand against these Judaizers, these, these guys who are coming in and saying, you are saved by grace through faith plus works. Now, there are churches today who teach that. Yeah, you, you, you can be saved by grace through faith, but you need to dress this way. You can be saved by grace through faith, but you need to look this way. You can't have tattoos and piercings. You can't, you can't, you can't be presented in this type of way. If we add anything to the gospel, any type of work to the gospel... Other than the gospel of grace by believing in Jesus Christ, that is not a gospel that we should accept. Now you're probably thinking, now wait, are you saying that we can live a sinful lifestyle and be saved by grace? No. No. The gospel of grace working within our lives is what gets us to repent of our sin. It's what helps us live a Christ-like life. So the gospel of grace is worth defending. And this problem is so big. Look at verse 3. I'm sorry, the end of verse 2. This, this, this issue is so big that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this, this question. This was a, a problem so big, we need to go to the mother church. And we need to deal with this. We need to talk to the elders, the leaders, the pastors of the church. And we need to figure out how to handle this issue because this is a problem. This is a teaching that has crept into the church that is going to push people away. That is going to to bring people to apostasy. In other words, it's going to bring people to a point where they're not going to be truly saved. Because they're going to be relying on their works for salvation. So number one, the gospel of grace is worth defending. We, church, we must not allow any teaching of the gospel to be tainted with a works-based mentality. And, and I'm, I'm leaving this on you. As long as I'm here, I'm going to make sure that that is not going to happen here. But church, I don't know. I mean, like God may move me somewhere. God may take me out of this world. I may not be here next Sunday. So you, church, need to make sure that whoever is behind this pulpit, whether it's me or a guest preacher or another pastor, that they are not teaching a works-based mentality gospel. You need to hold me accountable. Gospel of grace is worth defending. We stand firm on it. We stand solid on the gospel of grace. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy that as that, that, that there are going to be people with itching ears, that they're going to be wanting to hear teaching that suits their passion, but he should be able, through the preaching of the word, to correct, rebuke, exhort all things because the, because the word of God is breathed out by God. Church, the gospel of grace is worth defending because a gospel that isn't all grace is no gospel at all. So number two, not only is the gospel of grace worth defending, we must see too within this text that God's favor cannot be earned. You cannot work your way to earn God's favor. 
I love my boys. My boys are at that age where they're wrestling. I love to wrestle with them. I will throw them. Pillow fighting, man. Y'all might think I am, I, am, I am crazy. I will try to hit that kid as hard as I can with a pillow. I want to see him fly. And they love it. Love it. But understand that my kids, no matter how crazy they are, and no matter how often I want to pull my hair out, I'm losing my hair. No matter how, and my beard's getting gray. No matter how often I want to do that, there is nothing that my kids can do, will do, or won't do to earn my favor, to earn my love. There's nothing that they can do that'll make me love them more or love them less than I do right now. I would give my life for those kids. My wife's a whole other question, but for those kids, I will give my life for. Visitors, I'm joking. I love my wife. God's favor cannot be earned. Peter shows that here. Look at, look at verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter, who was probably itching to get up there, all right? I'm thinking this debate took place after Galatians 2. There's some arguing whether or not. But in, in the book of Galatians, we see Peter being rebuked by Paul for not sitting with the Gentiles because he was going to go sit with the Jews. And Paul rebukes him for it. Why, why are you not fellowshipping with the Gentiles? And so here Peter is itching to get up. Verse 7, and there had been much debate. And Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows... The heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter's telling them, he, Peter first is giving the account from Acts 10 when God sent him to Cornelius. Remember that? Acts 10. I didn't preach that sermon. My friend Russ Reeves preached it. But he went to a Gentile's house. Shared the gospel with the entire household and they all were saved. Gentiles. There was no, you need to be circumcised. There was no, you need to obey the law of Moses. They were saved by faith. Peter is giving testimony to that. Verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. No distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Church, you may be here this morning and you're thinking that you attending church this morning is earning God's favor. God loves you more at this moment because you're here. That is wrong. You might think that God loves you less because you haven't been in your Bible lately. That is wrong. God under the blood of Jesus Christ, cannot love you any more or any less than he does at this very moment. Because you cannot earn his favor. You cannot earn his love. Christ earned it for you. Christ went to the cross by obeying the law. He fulfilled the law. There was no sin within his life. Sinless and spotless, walk to the cross and earn the favor of God on your behalf. 
Church, we cannot earn God's favor. So stop working yourself to heaven. I know you've heard me say that. But honestly, there, I remember Adam preached a sermon here at one time and he made a comment. He said, people are going to hell tired because they're trying to work themselves to heaven so much. You cannot earn God's favor by your church attendance, by your giving record, by your Sunday school attendance, by the, the amount of times you've read your, bo- your Bible, how many verses you've got memorized, how much money you've given to the poor. You cannot earn God's favor by doing any of those things. Peter tells us that we are saved by faith, by God cleansing our hearts. You cannot be saved by circumcision of the flesh. We are saved by circumcision of the hearts where God has reached down and given us new life in Christ. And he didn't look at you and think, you know what? I could use a Kelly Bratton on my side. Kelly Bratton is a great deacon. He is inactive and I've always called him my bulldog. If I need a problem handled, I'll send Kelly Brad. Ain't that right, Kelly? Amen. God does not look at you and think, I need you on my side. Man, you know what? I think you would be good in the church. That's not what God says. He looks at you and he sees nothing worth saving. He looks at, he looks at you and he sees your sin and your shame. But through his grace... His mercy, he grabs your heart and transforms your life. And the only way that favor is earned by God is by Jesus Christ on the cross. Peter is showing us that. And then Paul and Barnabas come up and they try to talk to them about it. But let me go back to Peter real quick. Verse 10. Peter says, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. These Judaizers are are telling the Gentiles, you need to obey the law and have faith in order to be saved. Peter is telling the Jews, you can't even do that. You can't even obey. I can't obey. Your ancestors haven't obeyed. We all talked about how the law is impossible to obey. The law is a burden when it comes to earning our salvation. Understand the law is good. I I need you to understand that. There's a misconception. The law is bad. No, the law is good. The law is real good. The law shows us our need for a savior. Book of James, the same James who is here in Acts 15, James writes in his book that if you are guilty of breaking one commandment, you're guilty of breaking them all. We cannot keep the law perfectly. Christ can, and he did. Christ earned God's favor on our behalf by taking our sin and shame to the cross and dying for it. Church, understand this. You cannot earn God's favor. So stop. Stop trying to. Stop thinking that God loves you more or loves you less because you did or didn't do something. Rest in the grace that God gives us. Rest in that grace. And then grow to know him more, not to earn his favor, but because he has brought us into the family of God. You cannot earn God's favor. 
We see Paul and Barnabas, verse 12. After Peter said this, he said in verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just just as they will. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works of the law. Ephesians 2, 8, right? Verse 12, all the assembly fell silent. Peter stands up, says his his little spill, drops the mic, walks off, and you just hear crickets. And then Paul and Barnabas come up. And they're like, oh, here we go. Paul and Barnabas are giving testimony to what God has done. And all the assembly fell silent, verse 12, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas are are telling them, look, Gentiles are being saved. We're witnessing it. Just as the Spirit fell on us at Pentecost, the Spirit's falling on Gentiles. They're not earning God's favor. God's saving them by grace through faith. And then James comes up. James, who is agreeing with, with Peter, he calls him Simeon in verse 14. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with with this, the words of the prophets agree. And he's quoting Amos 9. He says, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. James comes up, agrees with Peter, quotes scripture. Now, this is James, who is the brother of Jesus. This is James, who is the leader of the Jerusalem church. People respect him. This is like if Billy Graham were to stand up at a Baptist associational meeting and start talking. All right. It's a big issue. Peter, I mean, James starts talking And he tells them by quoting scripture that even in Amos 9, it was prophesied that God is going to unite Israel and the nations under the blood of Jesus. Church, understand that James is showing them that Peter's right. But most importantly, here's what the word of God says. So how do we defend the gospel of grace? We go straight to the word of God. We go straight to the word. Because here's, I believe it was Spurgeon that said, the word of God is like a lion. You just quote it and let it defend itself. I'm paraphrasing that, by the way. We cannot earn God's favor. Peter, James, Paul, Barnabas are all fighting this. They're all saying this. So if the gospel of grace is worth defending, if God's favor cannot be earned, number three, we see also from Acts 15 that gospel unity is found under God's grace. Gospel unity is found under God's grace. Look at verse 19. James has just got done quoting Amos 9. Now this is a longer conversation than what Luke is is talking. It's not like they just got together for a quick cup of coffee and handled it. This was a long day. I don't know how many days this, this lasted, but it was a long time. He says in verse 19, therefore, therefore, because of what I've said, everything I've said, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. 
but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. All right, I'm going to speed up a little bit here. We see gospel unity is found under God's grace. James is coming up and saying, all right, to the Jews, let me tell you this. We're not going to mess with the Gentiles. We're not going to tell them that they need to obey the laws of Moses because they don't. There is no salvation found in the obedience of the law. They are saved by grace through faith just as we are. So we're not going to mess with the Gentiles. But to the Gentiles... Here's what I need to tell you. He tells us this. He says to stay away from anything to do with idols. He says to avoid sexual immorality and to not partake of meat that has been strangled or has blood in it. Okay. Now let's break this down real quick. First off, the Gentiles are pagan. They did a lot of idol worship. All right. And so James is telling them, stay away from idols. We serve one true God. Do not have any reason for the Jews to look at you and say, you're not a Christian. So stay away from that. Two, he's saying avoid sexual immorality. Now, this is just a common thing. Like the Bible tells us to avoid sexual immorality. The Bible talks about how we are to, how we are to save ourselves to a marriage. The Bible talks about how we are to avoid anything outside of marriage that is sexually perverse. And so the problem is, is the Gentiles are coming from a worldly culture and this issue, this problem is rampant among them. And so James is telling them, stay away from that. And there's this also this, this, this issue of temple prostitution that they're dealing with. Don't do that. And then thirdly, he tells them to not partake of meat that has been strangled or has blood in it. Why? Verse 21 tells us, For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in in the synagogues. There's a lot of Jews in this area. Do not do anything that will offend them, that will ruin your witness, that will ruin your fellowship and unity with them. I love a bloody steak. I'm a medium rare kind of guy. And the older I get, the rarer I go. Anybody else in here? Yeah? You like that juicy steak, right? James is telling him, if you're fellowshipping with Jews, cook that steak well done. Don't eat meat with blood in it. Why? Don't offend the fellowship and the unity you have. We see in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talking about, um, well, he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under under the law became one as under the law. Though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. I like what Kent Hughes says in his commentary. He's got two principles. One from this from what James said. We are not to make non-biblical requirements of others. We are not to make non-biblical requirements of, of others. We do this with our preferences. The way we, we feel like church should be run, the way, that, the way that worship should be had, our preferences of music and worship, the way we think people should dress, 
for church. We, we do this with our preferences. We put non-biblical requirements on people. And that's a burden. And we shouldn't do that. A lot of times we push more people away from the gospel because of those preferences. Now, some preferences are biblical. Understand that. But other preferences that we have, taste of music, dress code. I mean, wear clothes. But a lot of, I mean, non-biblical requirements, that, that pushes people out. And the second principle Kent Hughes has is not only are we to not make non-biblical requirements of others, he says we are to gladly restrict our freedoms for the sake of others. He's bringing it back to where the Gentiles should be willing to sacrifice their freedom of having a bloody steak or crab legs or barbecue ribs to not offend their Jewish brother in Christ. Text talks about dealing with the weaker brother, the weaker Christian. We should be willing to sacrifice our freedoms that we have in order to minister through grace to people like that. So lastly, number four, and then I'm going to close. Not only is gospel unity found under God's grace, number four, we see in chapter 15 that the gospel of grace leads to joy in Jesus. Leads to joy in Jesus. So let me read verses 22 through 35. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you No greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. We just we just looked at that. Right. It's the same thing. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Let me stop there. James is not saying abstain from these things and you'll be saved. He's not saying that. He's saying abstain from these things to keep the unity and fellowship within the body of Christ. Just when you're around Jews, do not offend your Jewish brothers. That's what that's what he's getting at. So we have freedoms that we have in Christ. But sometimes those freedoms are offensive to other believers and we should abstain from them in the presence of those believers so that we don't offend them. Okay, we see that maybe, maybe not. But we see here in verse 30, after they read this letter. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered a congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, you can circle this, they rejoiced. They rejoiced because of this encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. Also, they express joy in this letter, encouragement 
from the, from the letter that they are engrafted into the body of Christ by grace through faith. And they express joy in laying down their freedoms for the sake of fellowship and unity because Christ laid down his freedoms, his life for theirs. So let me close by saying this. We need to see that the gospel of grace leads to joy. And because it's joy in Christ and because Christ is worth it all and because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross, he is better. We should definitely defend the gospel of grace. Ultimately stand on it. We should take that risk when that teaching gets brought into the church. Another gospel, a separate gospel. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. No works. And we are to preach it. We are to defend it. And we are to celebrate it. We see the Gentiles celebrating that here. I am saved by grace through faith. Church, is it not amazing that this morning we get to say that we do not have to live up to the law to be saved. That we do not have to undergo the dietary restrictions. Praise God for crab legs. I mean, seriously, when my wife and I go to the beach, we take one afternoon and we clean out the the buffet of crab legs. We were dating. We went, we did a one day trip to the, to the beach with uh, my sister and her then boyfriend. And my wife said, you've never seen me eat crab legs. We were just dating at, at that time. I said, no. She's like, watch this. She out ate me in crab legs. She's the size of my left leg and out ate me in crab legs. Church, praise God that, 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 that he has provided the sacrifice. Praise God that he, that, that through Jesus, all of the law is fulfilled. Now understand the Ten Commandments, the moral law, that shows us our sin. We don't do those things. We are to serve God as our one and only true God. And we are to love our neighbors. We are not to covet or lie or kill. We are not to have idols. That shows a Christian life. Grace in a Christian life is evident through a holy life. So we die to our sin and we live to Christ. We die to our sin and we live to righteousness. But it's only by the gospel of grace that we can have joy in Jesus and not have the burden of the law on our shoulders. Praise God for that. I hope you know it. I hope you know Jesus. If you've never given your life to Christ, come and talk to me. Let's get that right. Let's talk. Let me show you more scripture. Let me show you the gospel. If you ever have questions, you can reach out. But maybe you're here this morning and you just need to be reminded that you cannot earn God's favor. That your church attendance does not make him love you any more or, 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 or any less. And your sin, church, your sin, God cannot love you any more or any less. Because it's been nailed to the cross of Christ if you've put your faith and trust in him. I pray you know that. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for who you are. 
We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this time. Lord, I pray that we rest in a gospel of grace. I pray that we defend it. We stand on your word. Pray, Lord, that we rest in the fact that because of your grace, the law was fulfilled. Because of your grace, Christ is better. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. God, I pray that we, are, that we believe that and that we rest in that. Pray that we remain united in the body of Christ under the blood of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that through the gospel of grace, we find true joy in you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your son who died for our sins. We ask this in his name we pray. Amen.